pleased to see you in church and those who are online. We pray that we may have a united spirit of worship together here tonight. In January 1952, uh, I was brought here with my family. Very reluctant, um, not interested at all in coming to services. But I soon began to realise that worshipping here was different from where I'd been before. There was a spirit of love between people and a spirit of love to God. And that is a great blessing that God has given us over the years, that spirit of love and unity. Love is rather like a glue with unity. It binds together, and it's a great blessing for a church to have that. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, outlines what love is. I'm going to read uh, part of um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We need to do all that we can to maintain that spirit of love. We need to turn from everything that will detract from love. So let's turn to sing our first song to the God who has shown us so much love, all creating heavenly giver.
Shall we worship our God in prayer? Let's pray together. Merciful and ever-gracious God, we have recorded in your word many times how your people cried unto you in their need and you heard them. And you are the same God today. You hear the cry of your people and how thankful we are that you are a God who deals in mercy and grace with us. We do not deserve it, but you are a God of mercy and of grace. And we pray as we gather here tonight that indeed your Holy Spirit may be at work in the hearts of the people who have gathered here tonight. Differing needs, differing attitudes towards the worship here tonight. O Lord, we pray that whatever, in whatever state a person has come tonight, that they may be blessed in their souls, that the Holy Spirit may work through the reading of your word, through the preaching tonight, through the singing of the hymns. O Lord, that is what we long for, that souls are blessed. We pray, O Lord, that your people may be built up in their faith tonight, that they may be blessed in their souls, that there may be a growth in our lives, a growth in grace, a growth in a greater knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. And, O Lord, perhaps there is a need for a greater understanding of your word and a greater earnestness in seeking after our God. O Lord, we pray that in whatever case people have come through the doors tonight, that you will work in their hearts and give them a desire to seek after God. We pray, O Lord, that we might be more fruitful. O Lord, we pray that in our lives we may show that spirit of love that we may seek after peace. We pray, O Lord, that we may seek after a closer walk with our God. We ask, O Lord, that if there are those things in our life, sinful things in our life, which hinder us in our walking, you may show us and give us grace to turn from those sins and to seek more earnestly your face. O Lord, we are thankful that we can come together in the quietness of this place and worship our God. But we are mindful of your people 
in persecuted lands where they cannot meet openly like this. O Lord, hear prayer for them, we pray. And in mercy look upon them and relieve them of their persecution. We pray for your people in the Ukraine who are undergoing such uh, distressing times and circumstances. Families are being torn apart. Loved ones are dying. Oh Lord, we pray, hear prayer for them. Undertake for them, provide for them. And oh Lord, we ask that there may be a cessation of this war that you will give wisdom to our leaders to try and to um, make a settlement with Putin that is just and right. And, O Lord, we pray that you will work in Putin's heart to open his eyes to what he is doing, the damage, the terrible atrocities that are being perpetrated. O Lord, Give us faith to believe that you are able to turn even him from his ways to seek after God. O Lord, we have many instances in your word where men who we would have thought were too hardened in their sins. We think of the jailer in Philippi, a man who was changed in a moment to cry unto you, and, O oh Lord, we pray that that same power that was existed in that town is available today to us. It is still, you are the same God today. You can change hearts. And that's what we long for. That's what we pray for. And, O oh Lord, we pray that uh, in mercy you would bring a cessation to this terrible war. We pray, O Lord, that you will comfort those of our dear ones who mourn at this time. We pray, O Lord, for your presence and help for them tomorrow at the funeral. O Lord, we give thanks for the help that has been given throughout these years the care and the love that has been shown, the physical strength and the mental strength and the spiritual strength that has been given. And we pray, O Lord, that you will bless them. In the coming days, there will be a big void in their lives. O Lord, do, do encourage them. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing. Help John and Mark as they take part in that service tomorrow. And we, O Lord, do pray that it may be a time when souls are blessed. Doubtless there will be a variety of people gathering together for this funeral service. O Lord, could it please you that they be brought to question about God and who God is. May they be brought to think 
about their end? Oh Lord, these are things that we put off. We don't want to think about these things. But it is so necessary to know where we're going. And oh Lord, we pray that your mighty work of salvation may be in that service tomorrow. We're thankful, O Lord, for the work that is done in our Sunday school and in Rooted and in the outreach. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing to be upon our teachers, our children, our young people. O Lord, do give them a heart to seek after God. We ask, O Lord, that the things of this world will not entice them away and that you will bless them. We're thankful, O Lord, for uh, all your goodness to us as a church that we have young and old and we pray for our older friends. Some are in homes now and unable to join with us but They are praying for us and we're thankful for that. And we would pray for them that in their isolation, to a certain extent, that they may be blessed and that they may know that God is with them. We ask, O Lord, that you will bless those in the middle age of life who have the busyness of daily uh, duties in, to perform in their work. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help them in their work relationships. And those who are fathers and mothers, give them wisdom in bringing up their children. It's an important role of family life. O oh Lord, do give them great wisdom to bring their children up in the knowledge of God. And may, O Lord, they be blessed to see fruit in the lives of their children. O Lord, we pray that as we turn now to sing another hymn, we pray, O Lord, for your blessing upon our service in its entirety. And that, O Lord, your name may be honoured and glorified. Cleanse us, we pray, O Lord. Pardon our many sins. Wash us in thy precious blood, we pray. Amen. Our next uh, song is one that uh, we haven't sung so much, so John is going to play it through, and the chorus, it's based on Psalm 133, which says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And following uh, that hymn, Steve Potts is going to read for us.
Our Bible reading this evening is taken from three passages, the first being Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 25 to 29, which is on page 727 in the Church Bibles. It's headed, The Lord Will Restore Israel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations, and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among among the nations any more, and I will not hide my face any more from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel declares the Lord God. The second passage is John chapter 11, verses 45 to 53. John chapter 11, which is page 898 in the Church Bibles. Headed the plot to kill Jesus. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he, that Jesus, did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done, including recently raising Lazarus from the dead. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him, Jesus, to death. And our third reading is from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 17, headed the great, a great multitude from every nation. That's on page 1032 in the Church Bibles. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, 
Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Well, before John preaches to us, shall we sing again? Is it possible to have the third verse of this hymn up, please? Thank you. Once you were an alien people, strangers to God's heart of love, but he brought you home in mercy, citizens of heaven above. Let his love flow out to others. Let them feel a father's care that they too may know his welcome and his countless blessings share.
Well, one of the great delights that I find is um, seeing the themes develop through the Bible. Seeing themes develop really through the history of humanity and the way that reflects on God's characters, a character, and the way in which that becomes so meaningful to us. And we're going to pick out one of those themes this evening. The title for this evening's message is The God Who Gathers. The God Who Gathers. The God Who Brings Together. The God Who Assembles. I'm going to stretch your brains a little bit this evening. I was so pleased to see some children here, perhaps with the school holidays, so pleased that they've come. And some of the things might stretch your mind, because I think they're going to stretch our mind this evening. But remember this, God is the God who assembles. So you have assemblies, I know they were missed up a bit, messed up a bit during Covid, but you have assemblies, and maybe some of the assemblies, maybe some are a bit boring, but maybe some of them you like. You like the person who leads it, you like coming together, and all the people in the school for those assemblies come together, sometimes for a very special assembly, and it's great. And God is a God who brings together and who assembles, and that's what we're going to be thinking of this evening, the God who gathers Think of an underground map. Think of London and its underground system. There are several ways, aren't there, to get across London by underground. There are different lines, there are different routes that take you across London by underground train. There is a new one opening soon I've been reading about, perhaps you know of it, the Elizabeth Line. Very fitting in her platinum year. Uh, supposed to open at some point between now and the end of June. It's going to have um, two sort of western ends, Reading and Terminal 5 at Heathrow, then Shenfield in Essex and Abbey Wood. It was proposed 33 years ago. It's cost over £18 billion. And it's going to give us another, I think by the sounds of it, quite good route across London. It's similar as you come to the Bible. As you look at the Bible, there are lots of themes that go through the Bible, if you like, on different lines. Themes that develop through biblical history and the purposes of God. And tracing them can help us to see how amazing the Bible is as a united book as you follow these themes through its pages. It's called biblical theology. But it's much more exciting than that phrase, biblical theology. So this evening, we're not going to be on the Elizabeth line. We're on, if you like, the gather line across the Bible. Or you could call it, I suppose, the assembly line across the Bible. Now, I told Hannah, that's my daughter, one of my daughters, that I was uh, pursuing this theme of the God who gathers. And she said that there was a book on this theme through the Bible by Christopher Ashe. It's called Remaking a Broken World, the heart of the Bible story. So if you're wanting to read up much further, somebody who's studied it lots, then there is a, a book on this theme. Here's one verse to set us off. We're going to be going all over the Bible this evening. You won't be able to keep up with quite where we're, we're going to. But here's just one verse from Isaiah 56 to set us off. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, 
I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God is a God who gathers. And the title of that book that I mentioned by Christopher Ashe shows this is not just history and theory. He called it remaking a broken world. So there's something thrilling and appealing and attractive about the theme that we're pursuing through the Bible this evening. In fact, I think it speaks into a couple of facets of our age, if you like. One is the increasing sort of individualism that we have in the West particularly, where we think very much of just ourselves and what we want. But the second is um, what you might call the ache for true community. One of the things that's terribly sad uh, in the world around us, perhaps even more in this current age, is broken community, isolation, fractured relationships, a loss of belonging. Maybe you feel that very painfully. And so we come to this theme of God gathering. We come to this wonderful theme of true community, of belonging. And it's an appealing theme. I hope it will be that to you this evening. Sin and its consequences often cause dispersion, fragmentation, breakdown, split up. And God in his grace is in the business of the reverse. Graciously is in the business of the reverse of that. So we're going to pursue this line through the Bible. And we're going to do it in six parts. So here's our, if you like, our tube map. And we've got six stations to go through. Now, I'm not claiming this is a masterclass of exactly how it should be broken up, but I think this is going to be a pretty helpful starting point for us if we'd not thought through this before. And I'm not sure how many of us would have really thought through this before. After we've looked at the stations, just briefly at the end, I'm going to think about five ways in which it should affect us. Responses. Implications. So... Have that bubbling in the back of your mind as we go through. What might these be? How should this affect me? How should it affect us? So, six major aspects of the God who gathers. Going to give you a a lot of Bible. I I don't want you to get bogged down. Try and keep the main flow, if you like. Don't try and study the advertising boards as we go along our line. You'll get dizzy and lost. Just try and keep, you know, the tube mats that you have in the underground of the main stations. Try and keep that in view and uh, sort of hear the references, maybe jot the odd reference down, but, but don't get too... Don't get too lost in the detail. So six stations. Maybe some of you sort of think, well, I wonder what these stations would be as we go through the Bible. What, what are the main landmarks of this theme of the God who gathers? Well, here's the, the first one I'm going to put is this. In Exodus. In Exodus. So we're starting nearer the beginning of the Bible here. Well, that's just to introduce it, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, at the beginning of the Bible, there is some uh, right sort of spreading around as we are to subdue the earth. But 
So much brokenness and dispersal happens at the outset of the Bible, if you like, because of us turning our backs on God. Adam and Eve are sent from communion with God, out of Eden. Uh, Cain, the first murderer, becomes a wanderer. Lives are broken repeatedly by deaths that occur in these early chapters. And then in Genesis 11, you have what's called the Tower of Babel, which is a proud attempt by humanity to level itself up with God. And the result in God's judgment is dispersal and scattering, even of languages, as people from then on have confused languages. It says in Genesis 11, the end of verse 9, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. God's immediate answer is a long-term one. He would build a nation through this man called Abraham. When does it really start to get going? When When does it really gain any momentum? Well, really it's in the second book of the Bible, in Exodus, hence our station in Exodus. In Exodus, the numbers of people God brings together in this nation, they start to amass, they start to multiply. Although they're slaves in Egypt at that stage, God then calls them out as a group of people, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands actually in the end. They assemble in the desert in Exodus, in uh, a mountain, at a mountain called Sinai. Laws are given to them. They're formed as a nation, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests is how it's described. They have a promised land that they begin to head towards. God's people are being formed and assembled. Looking back at this time, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, it says, How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, Sinai, in the desert, back in Exodus, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, so that they may teach their children to do so. And as we see that group progress. Yes, they do get into the promised land. And yes, over time, God appoints kings over them, some of them good kings who reign over them, and there is a coming together of this people. But then things go wrong. The people disobey. They take no notice of God, and as God said, he scatters them among the surrounding empires in exile. In fact, God said this would happen back in the desert. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 3 to 4, he says this would happen, but he says there would be deliverance. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will take you. This speaks of a regrouping. And we're on to the second station, which is after exile. After exile. 
why this theme is really picked up by people in the Bible that are called prophets, who've got books uh, written, named after them, of the words they said. Uh, We had one read for us at the start in Ezekiel. In fact, Ezekiel several times speaks into this theme of God bringing together this scattered nation which has been dispersed after exile. Here's one reference from Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 17. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. Isaiah picks up this theme. Let's hear one from Isaiah. It's also in chapter 11, 11 verse 12. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. It is God's gracious heart to restore, to assemble, to mend, to put back together again, to restore community for a broken, dispersed, isolated people. And you see that happen in the books of... Ezra and Nehemiah, there's a coming together and God's people are reunited. I suppose you can picture it a bit like this in the sad circumstances we're hearing about now. You imagine, hopefully, a few months down the line, but who knows when, people, refugees, returning from different places of Europe to the Ukraine. The joy of being back together again as a united nation again. Well, something like that was being done by God in the Old Testament after exile. But so far there has only really been a faint picture of God's gathering purposes. We've seen two examples, both in the Old Testament. We're going to pursue onwards on our assembly line, on our gathering line, and the next four stations are in the New Testament. Because it's it's God's clear intention that his people should not just be a single nation or a single people group. His intentions were were much bigger than just uh, restoring, if you like, a, a limping nation, which is often what Israel was even after exile. He's got bigger purposes to work through in them and what he does with them. We come to New Testament times and Israel as a state, as a nation, as a country is not really in good shape. It's under Roman oppression. It's spiritually poor and weak, compromised. And we see God's gathering purposes start to be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And our third station is through Christ. Is through Christ. Jesus comes. And uh, there's talk of a, a drawing together of all sorts, from all sorts of places. So in Luke 13, 29, and people, Jesus says, will come from east and from west, and from north, and from south, and recline or sit at the table in the kingdom of God. There's going to be a gathering. Christ has said the kingdom has come. There's going to be a coming together. 
How would it be accomplished? Well, it would be accomplished especially through his death. He says in John 12, verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, talking of his crucifixion, what's going to happen? When I am lifted up from the earth, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all sorts of people to me. One of the most insightful comments on this we read was actually sort of given sarcastically by the Jewish high priest. His name was Caiaphas. Listen to what Caiaphas says in John 11 and the way in which John says we should understand it. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to, our word, gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And then you have some lovely pictures given by Jesus of his desire, like a a hen gathering uh, uh, chicks under her wings in protection. You have the shepherd picture where Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd Jesus then is the focal point for God's gathering work. What he does on the cross through his death appeals to people, draws people in faith as they realise they need Jesus. In many ways he is like the hub at the centre of the wheel and all the spokes go into him and are assembled and united together. And if you're a Christian, that's happened to you. You have come into Christ because you know your need of him. This assembly work, this gathering work is done through Christ. One of the great New Testament descriptions which happens time and time and time again through the letters is in Christ. People saved, brought together in Christ. This is the third station as we go through this gathering line in the Bible. Another aspect as we go a bit further on, especially comes out in Acts and uh, the, the letters that we have towards the end of the Bible. And it is by the Spirit, by the Spirit. God gathers by the Spirit. So the the Holy Spirit acts as, if you like, a great uniting agent as God works through his purposes to gather and to collect his, his saved people together. The Old Testament said it would be the age of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be at work, and we see that work through in the New Testament. And you go into the book of Acts, and you're only in chapter 2, and it's Pentecost, and there is an international gathering, and they hear the same 
message in different languages. It's almost as though there's an undoing of Babel. And the Spirit comes on those who believe and they become united in praise and fellowship. We read a little bit of that this morning. And as you go on through Acts, it's as if you get like mini Pentecosts in a way as different people groups that were not expected to really be favoured by God according to the mindset of the people of the time are blessed and included, come to faith, trust in Christ. Lives are changed. So you get the Samaritans and the Gentiles and the Spirit comes on them and they're being gathered together by the work of the Spirit into God's people. The work of the Spirit binds and gathers together. You may have come across the term the baptism of the Spirit and it's used by some to imply a second blessing within the Christian life, a sort of second stage. But really the the New Testament, I think, conveys the baptism of the Spirit as something that all believers have and which binds them together. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, For in one Spirit were all baptised into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. That's probably the right understanding of what it says in Ephesians 4, where it talks about one baptism. So, it's not quite like that, but maybe this will help a bit group of people go through a school or a college together and it, 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 it forms them as a group. You have this alumni, don't you, of, or the class of 2020 and they have a shared experience and they've probably all got the same sweatshirt with names on the back and there's something that's bonded and bind them together and they've all been taught similar things at the same place and there is a, a unity about that cohort sometimes which lasts for years and they meet up again about 30 years later. Well, the Spirit works in true Christians Make some true Christians. And there's a bonding together, a teaching, a uniting together. And it's an ongoing thing. God gathers and through Christ, in Christ, by the work of his spirit. And we can say something extra. Into the church. Into the church. This is a, a, another... Um, key plank of what we're going through. It is God's gracious and great purpose to bring people together into the church. Church is people, not buildings. Church is people, not buildings. And the word church, ecclesia in the Greek, means assembly. It means called out ones, that goes that God has brought together. So he brings together people as believers, worked by the Spirit, into the church. Into the church total, the whole church across all nations through time, and gathering together into local churches in particular towns, villages, cities. Living stones pieced together in his spiritual building. Family members brought together to be part of the family of God. 
parts of the body, all different, but brought together into Christ's body, as it's described, a, a, a whole, united, different people, all together, working as one. The church is a great place of belonging. Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians is, is great on this theme. We, we've got a quote from Ephesians properly. Just give you one quote though, but so much of Ephesians is about this. Listen to this, especially if you feel isolated, left out, distance from God, distance from others because of your way of life. What music to your ears here? Ephesians 2.12. This is true for them. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when you link up with a a church, it's not just like signing up to badminton club or going to cookery classes. You're linking up with God's people. A visible expression of unity in Christ. Of other people in whom God has worked and dwelt and whose trust is in Christ. It is a great honour and privilege to be part of the church The old hymn, Saviour, if of Zion City, that's a language, picture language for the church. Saviour, if of Zion City's, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. He is forming a people. We sang a song based on 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you guess the sixth station? In Exodus, after exile, through Christ, by the Spirit, into the church. God's people have a future. Have a very bright future. And so the last station we can say is finally in glory. Finally in heaven. Jesus said this in his wonderful prayer, John 17. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that's this group of people, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' prayer that they should be with him to see his glory. We sometimes meet uh, Christians um, and take the Lord's Supper And it's a bit of a foretaste, you know. You know, sometimes you're going on a group holiday 
And in the, in the build-up to the group holiday, you have meetings and you're, you're together working out what's going to happen and you're planning. And it's a little bit of a foretaste. You start to get into it. Well, the Lord's Supper, people come together. It's a, it's a foretaste of the, the great feast of heaven. <coughs> what amazement awaits us. God finally gathers people to himself. They will be lost in wonder, love and praise. There will be countless, all nations, all tribes, all people groups. The dispersal of Eden and of Babel will be undone. We read of it in Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, Palm Sunday, palm branches in their hands. They're praising God. They're pleased to be there. They're to be lighted to be there. And no wonder for it carries on for the Lamb, Jesus is in the midst of them, will be their shepherd, guide them to springs of living water, satisfaction, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the great final, are you heading there? That's the great final assembly that God is gathering his people to. So this is the theme. We've travelled the line of God's gathering purposes of his people. And there are some things it leads to. There are some responses. I can just only bullet point through them to leave you to think about them. How how should we respond as we've gone along this line this evening? Wonder. Wonder. The article I read about the Elizabeth line said that uh, at one point it was the largest transport engineering project in Europe. It said it was a system more technologically complex than anything outside of China. There was a sense of wonder about the article. And there should be a sense of wonder about this line, I think. As you see, God's wonderful purposes being brought together. In Romans chapter 11, Paul there has been looking at the purposes of God in bringing together a group of people, and, and he's, he's astounded, and he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable are his ways. Well, I hope that tracing this this evening has given us a sense of wonder. Wonder at the Bible's plan. Wonder at God's grace. Wonder at God's persistence. Wonder at all that's involved. Wonder at its outcome. Wonder. Secondly, response and outcome can be belonging. You may feel like life has dealt you a rough hand. Your childhood, maybe your adulthood, have been strewn with difficult relationships, with letdowns. You may feel that you tread a solitary road. And then you hear of the theme of the God who gathers. And it's a great tonic. It's a great encouragement. You are part, if you have faith, 
of his building as a living stone. You are part, if you have faith, of the family of God as a valued, loved member. You are part, if you have faith, of the body of Christ, a useful function. When that's dealt with in 1 Corinthians 12, it addresses the theme of inferiority complex. There are some who think, I'm not important, I don't really matter, and the message is you belong, even though you're a toenail. Belonging is a wonderful theme in the Bible. Participating. If God is a God who gathers, then an implication is joining in, participating. It is God's purpose for people to be together, to assemble together, to act together, to serve together. God hasn't planned that we're lone rangers, freelancers going through life. We should be worshipping with others. We should be doing life with others. We should be active with others. It suits some personalities a little bit more than others, but it's the right way for all of us. There's a joining in. This is God's plan. Let's get on board. Participating. A fourth implication, I think, is inviting. God's gathering is a growing project. He was adding to the church back in Acts and he's been adding to the church other since, ever since. It's God's delight and it should be our delight for there to be additions. We seek others to put their trust in Christ. We pray for others to join. And so picking up some Old Testament words from Numbers, we can say to others in effect, come with us and we will do you good. Trust in Christ. Be part of God's people. And finally, and maybe you've guessed the last one, how do we leave this great theme this evening? Anticipating. Anticipating. Hopefully we liked being together down here, but but it can be difficult. You may have heard the little poem, To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's quite a different story. Uh, Maybe sometimes they're a different story as we are different personalities and things are not always easy. But we anticipate the full glory of wonderful fellowship ahead. God's final gathering, complete in the language we've looked at in Revelation 7 with no tears and no hunger and no death. And in the second to last chapter of the Bible, (coughs) we have this wonderful theme culminating and hopefully just as we read it, we feel a sense of anticipation of looking forward to it being fulfilled. Verse 3, Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, the assembly, finished. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. Wonder, belonging, participating, inviting, anticipating. Well, I hope it's not been dry, boring, 
theoretical, merely historical hope. It's been a living truth if we've looked at this wonderful line of truth through God's word and seen its relevance to us. And that last point of anticipating leads us nicely on to our final uh, song. There is a higher throne than all this world has known where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Let's sing through our last song. found ourselves a long way off from you. We have made ourselves outcasts by our rejection of you. We don't deserve to be included, belonging, blessed, collected, assembled. We don't deserve to know the Saviour, to have the work of the Spirit, to have the privilege of the church. 
We don't deserve um, the words of that last song to be true for us as a greatly anticipated future. Yet because you are graciously the God who gathers in your purposes, these things are true for so many of us, all of us who have faith in Christ. And we praise you for this rich theme that we have mined this evening. Amen.